Okay, well, this morning we're going to be uh, looking in Exodus 3 and 4 um, at uh, a, a pretty significant moment in the life of Moses where the Lord calls Moses, Moses with a great mighty call and Moses ends up saying this to the Lord. No. He ends up saying, Lord, send someone else, anyone else, just don't use me. And it's one of those times in the Bible where when you're reading and you come across it, it's easy to feel disconnected from the biblical character because who would do that? Who would stare the Lord in the face and say, no? And sometimes we, do, we, we may have these feelings about the disciples where there's, they're told in such a light where we sit back and we go, hey, how can people be that silly or that stupid or that whatever? Well, what I want you to see this morning is, is the eventual no of Moses starts long before he says, oh, Lord, please don't do it. Please don't use me. Don't use me. Long before that, it starts in a very, very subtle way, in a way that I think we can identify with, and in a way that I think we often say no to the Lord. So that's what we'll be looking at, and as our way into the story, I want to offer you some ways to think about it. Thinking as a parent and children is, is helpful, because Sometimes we can see things so easily in someone else's life. We have children, and uh, we, I, it's not uncommon for me to say something to the boys like, hey, uh, you need to go in and pick up your shoes in the laundry room. That could happen to any one of them. And it is likewise not uncommon that they would answer my command, as polite as it was, it was still command, they would answer the command with a question. They kind of adopt that look, that. And then they go, shoes? Ah, shoes? Or if they're not on their A game, they may pick the wrong question. They may go, laundry room? Right? And then you know, you know, you, then you go straight for the jugular. But if, <laughs> if, 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 they're, if they're playing their cards right, they'll kind of do the... Shoes in the laundry room? I don't think those are my shoes in the laundry room. And we know what they're doing because we did it. They're trying to question the parent out of, just forget it, I'll take care of it. Or just so you leave them alone. They know they'll eventually get it, but they would rather not get up and go do it. They'd rather say later on in the day when I'm walking by the laundry room, that's when I'll do it, right? That's what we want to do. We want to time, time obedience. So they'll give you those shoes. And you're like, yeah, the shoes, I don't think those are my shoes. They're the red shoes. Your red shoes. Red? <laughs> you know? And you have to kind of walk through them with these questions. Now, the questions by themselves are perfectly honest and legitimate questions. They're not evil questions. But what it exposes as you stick with the conversation, when you finally, like, take it all the way to the ground, the child says, do I have to do it now? Can I just do it later? And then you're like, ah, the heart. Right? The heart is they, they don't want to obey right now. Now, it's so easy to see in children. Uh, as a parent, uh, we need to remind ourselves we are children of the Lord. So why would we expect that we behave any differently to the voice of the Lord than our children do to the voice of their parent? And that's what you're going to see this morning. You're going to see uh, someone begin with 
very innocent questions. When deep down inside, his spirit does not want to obey. And so let's look. I'm going to preamble the story with uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. I want to start there. Now the Lord is appearing to Moses and speaking out of the bush on the mountain of God. And this is what the Lord says. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I want to stop there because that's the rub, actually. Verse 10 is the rub. 7, 8, 9 is the Lord presenting himself strong, declaring all that he will do. And, you know, any confessing God lover likes these sorts of passages. I've seen my people. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering. I will come down. I will rescue them. I will bring them out and take them to the Lord. It's, it's I will. It's I will. I mean, just all the first person. I, 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 all the way through this account. And then you get to verse 10. And the Lord says to Moses, come now. Go and do it. Moses. I'm going to rescue my people, you go do it. That's what the Lord says. Now, my knee-jerk response, and I call it my knee-jerk response because it's uh, eventually my faith and my theology catch up. But my knee-jerk response when I read these things is, oh, that's how he is. That the Lord expresses his will and then causes us, expects us to work his will out. And there's part of me, there's a very real part of me that doesn't like that. Because I know the Lord is so strong and so good, I just want the Lord to fix the problem. Like, Lord, can't you just fix the problem? You name the problem, right? Injustice, inequality, hunger, strife, murder, anger. Make them local problems. Your marriage, your job, your career, your friendships. The Lord knows those problems. Surely the Lord has seen your oppression. Surely the Lord has heard your cries. Surely the Lord knows your suffering. Surely the Lord has the strong, mighty right arm to come down and take you up out of your difficult situation and bring you into a good and broad situation that's overflowing with milk and honey. And he says, come now, you go do it. I want to say to you, I want to say the good news is God has the power to save. The bad news is he uses us. So I want to say it's incorrect, but it's what I want to say. And so we are left there. This is a doctrine of the Lord. This is a truth about God. God works his works, his will through the works of his people. God works his will out through the works of his people. 
Another way of saying is God redeems his people through their working out of his will. Here's a, a, a drill a little bit deeper. This is an idea. That redemption is a work into which we are invited. Redemption is a work into which we are invited. Here's another way. It's the word participation. God expects his people to participate with him in the work he's doing. God uses his people in the saving. In fact, if you think about it, much of the saving in your life is being done along the way of the saving. God is changing you to be like him as he is making you to be like him through participation. We cannot know the Lord when we do not participate with him in redemption. Now that is just the truth. That, and that truth is, is ah, that truth is, it, that gnaws on the bone of your soul. I mean, that reality that you cannot be what God declares you will be unless you participate with him to become it. It's set against this unholy doctrine of the world or this unholy doctrine of the flesh. This is what is in us, is that we have this deep desire for the prize and yet we do not want to run the race. That is what is in us to begin with. Is we, we want the salvation of God, but we do not want the labor of partnering with him in it. That's, that's how we start. Last week I quoted a few songs. Here's one for this week. It's a David Crowder song. The line, is, he, it's, the line of the song is, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Few things have been said that are truer than that. We all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die or to deny themselves daily and take up their cross. God says this to Moses, I am going to save, now go. Actually, he says it this way, actually. It's it's a little more affectionate. He says, I'm going to save, now come, (laughs) I'll send you. There's a warmth in that. I'm going to save. Now come, you go do it. And this is what evokes out of Moses resistance. And the resistance comes in the form uh, initially as totally innocent questions. So I'm going to read these questions. I'm going to start in the 11th verse. I'm going to read all the way to the 17th verse of 4. So you've got to put on your reading caps. If you have ADD, hang in there. Uh, my heart's with you. I'm rooting for you. It's a good story. All right, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said this, said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you. And what has been done to you in Egypt? And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me. Or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But, oh, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? 
I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with, and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Okay, you still there? So it begins in the 11th verse with Moses asking a simple question. He says, who am I, Lord? And some scholars come out to say, this is not, uh, Moses is not really trying to get out of it at this point. It's a pretty, it's a polite way of referring to the Lord. It's almost like a formal way of responding to the Lord. And I could say, possibly I could agree with that if I didn't know how the conversation ended. But the end of the conversation gives us a hint as to the nature of the conversation. There's a lot of things in our life, the things about ourselves that we cannot understand in the present, but when our motives have been worked out over time, we can look back and see how we may have been right or wrong or insensitive to the will of the Lord. And we know from the story that we're Moses, somewhere deep in Moses, deep down, already in the story, is he's digging his heels and saying, oh, this is, I am not the right guy for this job. Dear Lord, do not send me. That that's alive somewhere in the third chapter, but it takes the Lord's patient time with him to pull it out. But his first question is, who am I? Who am I? The question is really more of a statement. I mean, the question could at one level be, I'm not worthy, but another level, this is what I think Moses is saying. Lord, your will exceeds my capacity. What you want me to do is more than what I am able to do. That's what Moses is suggesting. What you want me to do, Lord, is more significant or greater than what I can do. Now, at some level, maybe that is just humility. And I, that may be true, and I, but at another level, is it possible that Moses' humility is actually a very sophisticated way of saying no to the Lord? Let me just ask that about you. Is it possible that you have honed very, very sophisticated ways of saying no to the Lord? Ways of saying no that don't sound like no. Ways of saying no that sound like questions. Ways of saying no that may even sound generous. Oh Lord, it's not right for me to have this blessing. Someone else should have the blessing of service. I mean, it's very important for us to ask these questions because there's, some of us wonder, why is it that the Lord doesn't use me? Why is it that my, my life doesn't feel like it's ever been meaningfully sowed into the narrative of God or into his kingdom or into all of these things? Why is it that I don't seem useful to the kingdom? And it may just be that you've said no to the Lord in so many different ways, that you don't, so many subtle, elegant, sophisticated ways. You say no to him at hello. I mean, this sounds like humility. 
I, I think it is a sophisticated way of saying no. Well, the Lord answers him. And the Lord doesn't answer him in one of these three ways. The Lord doesn't say, you know, Moses says, Lord, who am I? The Lord doesn't say, oh, Moses, you don't know who you are. You are the bomb, Moses. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Moses, you have massive uh, shepherd staff skills and you're going to get in there and Pharaoh. He doesn't say that, nor does he say to Moses, Moses, I know you're not all that, but the Holy Spirit will come on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be a new man. He doesn't say that to Moses either. Nor does he say to Moses, oh, Moses, you got the whole scenario wrong. It's really not that big of a deal. I'm not actually saying bring them up out of Egypt. I'm saying I just want you to ride in and kind of throw a message to Pharaoh. I just need you to Paul Revere the whole thing. Just kind of shout it out and then you're out of here. It's none of that, right? The Lord is not saying to Moses any of those things. The Lord is saying to Moses, I'll be with you. In other words, if God's way with us is to invite us in to participate with his redemptive work. And if, by the way, if that is not bad news, but that is the best news, that the Lord invites us in to be part of what he's doing, he will by nature call you to do things that exceed your capacity as a person because he's the one at work. And if you are very disciplined at the ways, the delicate ways you say no, you will miss it. How are these just ways, okay? Someone says in their heart, right, this marriage has exceeded my capacity as a person to remain in. Uh, I'm just not good enough. You see, there's, there's the subtle, sophisticated excuse. It's all me. I just... The Lord knows. The Lord knows precisely the marriage you've been in. He's seen your situation. He's heard your cry. He knows your trouble. He understands the difficulty. And he will come and he will rescue you Now you go and remain. I'm saying, we're not waiting around for some burning bush experience. The call and the will of God in our life is now, in our ever-present situations. Whether you want to switch careers, change jobs, or God's call, these subtle, so often, let me just, let me, I don't want to, I'm not dumbing it down, I'm reeling it down. So often, the will of God is expressed to us in these whispering hunches and burdens on our heart for someone else. Okay, let's just let's operate at that level because I know the Lord will not exonerate you from this. Of you seeing someone in your life or in your way or along your way in life and the Lord will put on your heart that you should, you should begin to weigh into that life for the purpose of redemption. I mean, do you, no, who am I? Oh, Lord, I don't know enough. I don't, there's just no way. Is, do you get out of it with your humility? The reality is you are not good enough 
to fulfill the will of God, but he will be with you. And it is in his nature to bring you along because he participates with us in redemption. Which is what he says here to Moses. And Moses has a second question. Moses' second question is, well, who do I say sent me? I can imagine Moses is playing this, role-playing this out in his head, and he's saying, okay, all right, God, let's just work with me here. I'm going to walk back. Haven't been there in a while. I'm now 80 years old. I've been gone for 40, and nobody missed me when I left. I'm going to walk back, and I'm going to say that God showed up to me on a mountain in a bush, and I'm going to tell the leader of the greatest empire that the earth has ever known, who whose family and lineage and dynasties of whom have built buildings that you and I still can't figure out how they built them. I'm going to tell that guy that God wants his people free. And I'm going to tell my people who have been in bondage for centuries now that the God who didn't free them yesterday has somehow showed up to me, this exiled Hebrew, and he's going to work it out through me. Who do I say sent me? I think that's a little bit of what Moses is saying here. Now, he's not, his tone is respectful. Um, it, it eventually gets, uh, his heart comes out, right? I think that's his heart. His heart is, who are you? And I think it's a, it's a valid question in some levels. We gotta remember, Moses was, lived in Egypt and was raised by Egyptians. Which one of the 30 gods are you? in the pantheon of Egyptian gods, among all people groups of this time, every people group known to man of this time, they worshiped all sorts of gods. The Hebrews are new. The Hebrews are new in the sense that they worship one God and only one God. But everyone else worships this pantheon of gods. They recognize all sorts of gods. And so Egypt had the God of the Nile and the God of the sun and the God of fertility and the God of power and the God of this and the God of that. All these different sorts of gods and Egypt had a whole covey of them. A whole temples and temples of them. They, they were clearly had the most and the best because they were the most and the best. The pyramids used to be covered with marble, we think. Think of that. Great people. Moses is saying, which one of the gods are you that would claim to walk into that room of gods and say, give me my people back? To which the Lord answers. His his name is his answer. I am who I am. And if you think about it for a second, all the, these lower gods, these lesser gods, the gods that compete for our affections all the time, right? The God of wealth, the God of beauty, the God of power, the God of prestige or humor, or all of these gods that tempt us and all these gods and theirs, they're gods of things. There's gods of the river and gods of the sun and gods of fertility and all of these, these subcontracted demons is what they are. They, they take life and they chop it up and then they, they express their power in these small little areas that have our affections and so then suck us in. That's what they are. The Lord, when he gives his name, doesn't even exist on that realm. The Lord steps above it and says, I am God. Everything else is a God of something. The Lord himself 
is God. The word is actually, the Hebrew word there is the verb to be. I am. That's what he says is, I am. The notion is, the notion coming out of it is, God is being. There is, he's not a God of something. He's a God from which everything has its being. It's the way the Lord is with his own name telling Moses, I am not coming in to compete with them. I am. I am God. And he further refines his name. He says, tell them I am sent you. And then in the, there in the 15th verse, he says, here's what you say. You say this, you say the Lord. You see that in the first, verse 15? The Lord, and it's in all caps. That word is Yahweh. The, Yah, the word Yahweh in Hebrew is the verb to be. It's the third person. So he says, I am. He says, you know what? Go tell them that he is sent you. That's actually the word. Go tell them he is sent you. The root of Yahweh is the word he is. We worship the he is So the people came to know the Lord as the he is. And he says, go tell them that the he is sent you. And then he describes the strong way that he's going to do this. He's almost to give comfort to Moses. If I am powerful enough to do this thing, Moses, I can do this thing. Because I'm not one of these lesser gods. I am the God of existence. And he says to them, they will listen to you. He says it to them. He says, the elders of your tribe will listen, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. But we arrive in the fourth chapter, and Moses is done asking questions. He actually says to the Lord, you know what, Lord? They won't listen. The Lord tells him, Think of the denial, the soft denials that Moses started with is, I can't, God, because I'm not, a, I am, your will exceeds my capacity. So I, he, Moses doubts himself. Then in the second comment, Moses has doubt as to who the Lord is. And then you get to this third one, and Moses, by this point, Moses is saying, actually, Moses, they will not believe me. Or God, actually, God, they will not believe me, he says. Look at chapter four, verse one. Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. I mean, Moses has migrated from softly saying no with questions, no by inquisition, right? Softly saying no with questions to now saying no just by protesting. No, Lord, they won't believe me. It's at this point that the Lord begins to show him his power. Throw the staff on the ground. Put your hand in your pocket. Which makes you think, what really is at stake here in this, with this third protest is that Moses doubts the power of God's word. First, Moses doubts himself, and then Moses doubts, who is the Lord? who's this God sending me in the first place? And then Moses turns and says, actually, Lord, they will not believe your word. And the thought is, what Moses is saying to the Lord is, your word will not survive contact with the people. I say your word, it's going to land on them, and it will be rejected. To which the Lord replies to Moses, 
I will accompany my word with power. That's what he says. That's why it's followed with, that's why the answer is, throw your staff on the ground. Is the Lord saying, listen, it's not your responsibility to validate my words. It's my responsibility to validate my words. It's your responsibility to say them. Do you hear this, church? Because how often have we not done the will of the Lord? Because in our mind, his word will fail. His word will fail. We assess the situation. We sit back. We have it in this impetus in our spirit to go, should we? Should we do it? Should we do it? Should we do it? Is it still small voice of the Lord? Right? Ah, oh, I can't do it. I'm, I don't know enough. That's, that's your humility working your, for you. Right? Then maybe it's uh, just you forgetting the power of our God. Right? But nonetheless, so often it resolves itself to this, which is the word will fail. The word will fail. And the Lord says to us, I am responsible for my word. You're responsible to say it. That's all I'm asking Moses is you write in there and you open your mouth and you say it. And then I will act. Now, by the 10th verse, Moses' heart is exposed for us. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or the present. See, he still thinks it must have to be, he's thinking I have to say it just the right way. Remember the New Testament where where we're encouraged? Hey, if you're ever brought before the officials, don't worry what you need to say. You remember the scripture? Because the Holy Spirit will be with you and will give you words to say. The Lord will speak through you. It's to bolster your faith so that you do things for the Lord, so that you participate with him in his mighty works. We don't participate with the Lord because there just might be a chance that we might be before the officials and then we wouldn't know what to say. Eventually he says, Lord, please send someone else. And the beauty of this is that someone else was already on the way to help. Right? It says, is not Aaron your brother? He's already on his way. You see this? In God's will for our life, it so clearly exceeds our capacity, and we think, therefore, it cannot be God's will. Why would God call me something to something I can't do? And the reason is, is because God invites you to participate in his work of redemption. That's why God will always call us to do things that exceed our capacity. And then we need to remind ourselves of who this God is because this, our God is not a small God. He is God. And then we th- begin to think about our inadequacies and the reality is, is God is already at work in us and around us to do the things he says he's gonna do. God has already selected a partner for Moses who's already on his way. So why do we say no? Don't we want to feel the Holy Spirit work? I mean, why do we say no is a question I I marvel at. I find myself on occasion in my life uh, in these places where I have to really be Christian. 
not the Monday through Fridays, but then the occasional times when life gets difficult, and then you draw close to the Lord, and when you draw close to the Lord, it is so sweet. And when you actually use faith, it is so real, and it is so priceless. It is better than a pearl of great price. It's the sort of thing in the moment. Even though I resisted the moment, resisted the moment, resisted the moment, resisted the moment, when I'm finally there and I have nothing but the Lord and I have to live on faith, and then all it is is the Lord and me. It is the sweetest moment in my life. And yet I don't want to repeat it. I will tomorrow say, no, Lord, send someone else. I mean, the salvation for us starts deep within. And so I'm here just to say over you that if you are in Christ, he will come to you and he will ask you to do something that is beyond your capacity. And it's not going to be fancy like, like burning bushes. It's going to be humbling and low and dirty and you will get no credit from it for the world. In fact, that's what happens to Moses. You know, everything Moses said, by the way, happened. Moses had so many, I told you so, to the Lord. He shows up, they're like, who are you? We're going to have to read it. He's going to end up having to throw the staff down and throw the hand and pour the water. He's going to have to do all that stuff. And they're going to still say no. And they're going to say no. And they're going to say no. And they're going to say no. And then for the rest of Moses' entire life, his people are going to go, nice job, Moses. Way to get us out of Egypt. They are going to bite on him. His own brother Aaron is going to say, who died and made you God, Moses? Can you believe that? Aaron. Aaron is no Moses. The very man that accompanies him and Miriam are going to say, why do you get all the glory? Out of which these words will come in scripture. Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. There was no one as humble as Moses. The Lord will call you. The Lord will give you something to do that exceeds your capacity as a Christian. As a person, you'll say, Lord, I cannot do that. That does not mean you say no. You remind yourself of who God is. You remind yourself that he is responsible for the power of his word. And you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do lift up. I lift up the person in this room or the people in this room who are in their own subtle, sophisticated way saying no to you, Lord. I ask, Lord, in your grace and because of your love that you would expose that. I pray, Lord, that you would wipe it, wipe off the dressing, Lord, and show the ugliness for what it is. Lord, we do pray. We we pray you would forgive us for our no spirit and for the ways that we avoid you and dodge you with questions or excuses, Lord. How can we have a single excuse that we would ever want to use to separate us from who you are? Lord, I pray that there might be the people who are here who have not experienced the real walk with the Savior, Lord. I pray that this might be an occasion where they can begin to turn and accept that you have called them to do something that they may not want to do but will be a participation with your divine nature. Lord, I pray that on every believer that they would participate with you, that they would know you, that they would experience you, Lord, that they would walk with you. Father, we pray that. We pray that for all believers. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.